thanks for tuning in to Mental Health Musings, a podcast through the CSU Health Network. Every podcast focuses on a different topic pertaining to mental health and well-being. No two episodes are the same. Thanks for tuning in and remember to be kind to yourself. Happy New Year. Welcome back to Mental Health Musings for spring semester. Um, we are glad to be back. Um, we are very excited about today's podcast. Um, but first, a reminder of who we are. My name is Stephanie. I use the She Series pronouns and I work at the Health Network. My name is Peter Frito. I use he, him pronouns. I am a third year human development and family studies major and I am one of the student program assistants at the Health Network with Stephanie. And I'm Lauren. I use she, her, hers. I'm a senior here at CSU studying psychology and I'm also a student program assistant in the Health Education and Prevention Services Office of the Health Network. So as we all know, this month is the busiest time of the year for the gym. Everywhere you look, there's some kind of new diet or way to, you know, healthy you, new you. And so we're sitting down today with Kaylin Garcia from the Kendall Reagan Nutrition Center. Um, and we're going to talk about how do you part on us. So Kaylin, yeah, if you don't mind giving the listeners a little bit about yourself. And then um, also, can you give a maybe a brief explanation of how you got into this role. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. It's a good idea to, just for people to, you know, kind of know the truths of diet culture and to be able to make informed choices, especially at this time of the year when it seems like that's where we're confronting conversations and seeing it everywhere in social media. It's kind of just seems like it's become the new norm. So anyways, a bit about me. Yeah, my name is Kaylin Garcia. I am a registered dietitian nutritionist. I work at the CSU Kendall Reagan Nutrition Center. So Stephanie, I'm in the same home as you. I work in the same health and medical center building, but we're actually food science and human nutrition department. I've been a dietitian now close to eight years, and I've actually worked at the KRNC for most of my nutrition career. Prior to landing at the KRNC, I worked in clinical nutrition. I also worked with some community nutrition programs as well. And in my time at CSU, you know, my work has evolved to kind of go where the demand has taken us, and that's ultimately how I've landed in this position where I'm working with a non-dieting framework. I actually used to walk these halls of student media. So I studied at CSU uh, initially in 2005. I was a journalism uh, major and did obtain a bachelor's degree in journalism and worked in public relations for about three years. And at that time was working a pretty stressful job, uh, around the clock, a lot of hours, always on call. And I was in my early 20s and my health was taking a dive. I was really um, experiencing some of the negative health outcomes of being in a high stress, sedentary job. And so much so kind of hit a rock bottom. Well, not kind of, like I really did hit a rock bottom. I hit a full-blown burnout, quarter-life crisis, whatever you want to call it and um, at that time didn't really know anything about nutrition, but I knew that my calling was to fix myself and could help others in a similar position. So nutrition ended up just kind of being the, the platform that I pursued, but really didn't have a background in nutrition whatsoever. But in repairing myself and kind of rehabbing from this burnout, looked to nutrition as a way to, quote, fix myself and, you know, did fall into what a lot of people fall into which is taking that too far and really trying to perfect my health and perfect my nutrition. And at the time thought I was doing it right, but was still not really expanding into my thriving self. And was at that time, looking back, I can see it, but at that time really had taken healthy eating too far. And so 
so what was interesting is as I was working on my master's um, in nutrition, the more I learned about nutrition and biochemistry, the more I was able to kind of loosen that grip on, quote, perfect eating. And so that, an interesting twist in the story, right? Like a lot of times the nutrition major attracts folks who are predisposed to disordered eating because we think we can master and perfect our, our eating and our health. And, and I, I had a bit of a different experience where the more I learned about nutrition, the more I was able to understand and, and kind of loosen that grip on needing to be so perfect. So yeah, that that led me to becoming a practicing dietitian. Early on, a, a lot of people who were coming into the clinic were you know, seeking weight loss. And at that time, you know, I didn't really have problems with endorsing that approach. And it really took about four or five years of working in that space to see the damages of dieting and taking an intentional weight loss approach. And so had another kind of transformation and was introduced to another way, an alternative way, like, hey, it doesn't have to be this way. And that's when I found intuitive eating. And so uh, now I practice as a certified intuitive eating counselor, registered dietitian nutritionist. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing how you got into that. I think many people can relate to that idea of taking healthy eating a little too far. You think you're doing everything right. And then the next minute, maybe you're not. Um, Would you expand a little bit more on that non-diet framework that you like to work with? Yeah. So I work with an intuitive eating framework um, and it is ultimately a self-care framework that does center on nutrition nutrition and healthy eating, but it's more holistic than just what you're eating. Uh, so it, it's, you know, we think of being a healthy eater is just, are you putting healthy foods in your body? And again, kind of this perfect idea of what's displayed to us all around, especially on social media, is that eating has to look this certain whole food, minimally processed way with no room for treats. And intuitive eating is an approach that really respects that healthy eating is so much more than just the nutrition. Healthy eating is also having a peaceful relationship with food and body. And so recognizing that that does involve eating for pleasure and eating for celebration and eating within community. So that that's initially why I was kind of attracted to this framework. But essentially, if we're going to give you a textbook explanation, it's a, a 10 principle framework that helps guide a person back home home to themselves because we are all born as intuitive eaters. We're all born with this innate wisdom to discern when to eat and how much to eat and to know what foods help us feel our best. And we see this in children. We see this in babies, right? That they're very capable of knowing what they want to eat and how much and when and what is satisfying, what tastes satisfying, but also what feels satisfying. And as we grow up, you know, we are exposed to influences all around us that essentially kind of pull us away from that internal knowing, that internal sense. And so whether we're hearing food rules, you know, in school or amongst our peers or even families. Uh, we do see that a lot of this is generational. So, you know, kiddos at a very impressionable age are learning things that maybe are different than what their body is telling them. And so in a sense, that kind of pulls them out of their body. And so now their eating is mostly guided by external forces. From early years, we've maybe been told we can't trust our bodies or that we shouldn't trust our bodies or that, you know, we must eat this certain rigid way. And then we get into our 
our adult years. And, you know, over time, that just has this feeling like we really don't have the confidence to be able to read our body's cues and to make these decisions for ourselves, which is then where people, you know, seek out the truth and answers and outside sources like social media, like even coming to a dietitian and requesting meal plans and things like that. So intuitive eating is a process that helps people kind of come back to how to honor your hunger, how to connect with satisfaction and fullness cues, how to dismantle dieting beliefs, how to respect your body. Even if you don't love your body, even if you don't have positive body image, how can you still show your body respect by taking care of it and nourishing it? How can you move your body in ways that feels good that isn't just about punishing your body for being a certain size? So those are some of the core principles. I would like to explain that. I just had a kind of a separate question. Um, I'm in this one class called Health Medicine and the Society, and we're learning a lot about right now, like food deserts are better known as like food apartheid. Um, how would that kind of fit in with intuitive eating, that idea um, of like not being able to have like some certain kind of foods, but also needing um, other nutrients for your body? Yeah, that's a really good question. So intuitive eating isn't rigid in that like thou shall only eat whatever you want anytime you want, because I do think that there's a lot of privilege that gets wrapped up into that. And I think that's often how it's portrayed in media. Um, and I think that's a, a common misconception about intuitive eating, that it's only about eating exactly what you want whenever you want. Oftentimes we're working with some other implications like food insecurity or even other chronic conditions that might require eating in a, a specialized way. And so I think with that, we have to understand that first and foremost, we have to meet the body's basic needs. And so the most important thing we can do with nutrition is ensure that the body is getting enough to eat. Nothing matters in terms of what, quote, quality food you're eating if your body's simply not getting enough. And so that's so much of the work within intuitive eating initially is working on resourcing and making sure that that individual has access to eating enough, whatever that might be. And it may not be exactly perfectly the most satisfying that thing that they want to eat. But at the end of the day, we got to make sure that the body feels safe and that there is um, enough nutrition that basic needs can be met. So when we first reached out to you and, you know, jokingly said like, oh, I have a, you know, a title for this podcast. It's let's put the diet in diet culture. And so just circling back, if you wouldn't mind explaining a little bit more about your thought process or, you know, what that concept, what does that mean to you or what you like the CR listeners to get from that? Yeah. So I appreciate that. You know, we there is some sense of humor in that. But in all honesty, you know, I, I think we need to preface and say, you know, first and foremost, body autonomy. You do you. You know, if, if diet culture is for you, that is not for me to say that that is a problem. But rather, I think where we find ourselves in a tricky situation is when we're led to believe that diet, the ways of dieting is like the only way. And unfortunately, because it is a multi-billion dollar industry, that is what is often the choice for most people. And so, you know, half jokingly, I want to put the diet in diet culture. I think it's important that people recognize the potential harms of engaging in diets. And if I had my way, you know, we would end the suffering caused by dieting and aggressively, yes, putting the diet in diet culture. <laughs> but ultimately, I think some people need to sometimes have their own personal experiences with engaging in diet culture to know how they respond. Because I can't say indefinitely that everyone's going to have these fit in these box kind of experiences with diet culture. And I've been working in this space for 
eight years now. And once you see the damages that diet culture creates in people, you don't unsee that. Mm. And so that's where my sole purpose has shifted in ultimately helping people rehabilitate their lives because diet culture can get to the point where it is really sucking the life out of people and preoccupying so much Mm. energy and time and money that really pulls people out of their authentic truth and out of really fulfilling their sole purpose. So well, yes, putting the diet in diet culture may not be the title of this podcast. <laughs> I think what I want to do is really put light on, you know, how there there are some harms. And I want people to be able to make informed choices because at the end of the day, that's all this is, is, you know, giving people information so that they can make their own cost benefit analysis and, you know, arrive at their own choice um, given their unique life experiences. I'm glad you said that. I think about there was a time period. Oh, gosh, now maybe almost 10 years ago where. I remember seeing myself in the mirror after a really long day of work and I did not like what I saw. And so I decided I'm going to do something about it. And I did this diet that focused it on like drinking the particular powder Mm. as a meal supplement and then following essentially like I used uh, Fitbit to to calculate my steps. And then I also used my fitness pal to like uh, log on my calories. And I remember now I look back and I'm like, I think there was some that wasn't very good because I remember looking at like my calories and being like, okay, I need to eat this many to continue the weight loss. Mm. And if I went over that, then I felt really bad. And then I would be like, I have to go to the gym now to expend calories. Mm -hmm. So that way it comes out even. And I was super restrictive with my eating and I was hungry all the time. And I remember if I ate a little bit more, I would just, it was like a feedback loop where I felt like, oh my gosh, all the weight's going to come back now. And so hearing you say that like I wish I had somebody or I had consultant with someone like you back then to figure out a way that was a little bit more gentler and kinder to myself right and I'm sure there was some ramifications but it was hard especially with society and people were saying things like you look great and so of Mm -hmm. course like you want those com you know compliments but yeah looking back I'm like I could have really benefited from some intuitive eating practice uh hearing like diet culture you know that kind of stuff I don't know if any of you want to yeah similarly um I feel like in high school I also found the calorie tracking apps and I was an avid scroller on Instagram and it was just like the algorithm attacking me showing me all these different like diets and like what you should and shouldn't eat and everyone had something different to say and then like it turned into like all these workouts of how to get like a toned stomach and I was 16 years old and like I was still growing and I just didn't have any of that proper education to tell me that you're growing you need food you're in school you need to like feel your yourself to do well in school. So going on the education front, like, why do you think it's important college kids understand that maybe restricting is then implicating their schooling? Yeah. Well, thank you, Stephanie. I appreciate you, you know, bringing us into that part of your journey. And I think that that's a a really important example of like how we and I'm saying we because I've yet to meet someone who's who's not been affected by diet culture right so I think that serves as a really good example of like how we find ourselves in that kind of position and no shame right because I think we land in a position in our lives where diet culture you know serves as something obviously there's a reason why we go to it and and I want to say this because I 
think a lot of us hold shame that we get wrapped up into this and that we should have known better and that we feel like we 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 didn't we weren't smart enough or didn't have the tools or maybe our families didn't set us up for success like we wish they had. And that's not the point of this. The point isn't to shame ourselves for what we wish we should have done better, but rather recognizing that at that, that time in your life, that served a, a pretty important purpose for you, right? Like fill in the blank reason. Usually what we see is we feel out of control and controlling our eating you know, with rigid rules and numbers offers us a sense of security and control. Or we feel like we're unloved and if only we changed our body to look this certain way that we would be more attractive and then have, you know, more friends or more success or more wealth or more connection. Like these are core human needs. So it's not that diets are, I'm saying, quote, we're stupid for doing them. It's a multi-billion dollar industry that promises us this illusion of if only you eat this certain way and work out this a certain way, you too are capable of having these core human needs met. And so that's why we we do get sucked in. And here's the challenge. Most diets do produce results, mm. right? I think we could sit here and list off hundreds of diets and we mm. all know someone that X diet has filled in or provided some results until they don't. So here's, here's the truth about dieting that doesn't get popular attention. What perpetuates the cycle is often there's this desire to pursue an appearance ideal of some kind. And that appearance ideal is always shifting, right? We can't keep up with it anymore. So then we, we find the plan that offers that for us. And then we hit a point where either we're plateauing or it's so restrictive that we don't feel like it's sustainable. So we feel like we're off the wagon. We didn't try hard enough. Um, we big quotes, failed the diet. And really what's happening behind the scenes is massive psychological and physiological shifts in the body in the face of perceived deprivation, which is a threat to our existence. I mean, I know I'm kind of dramatizing it, but that's really what's happening here. So then you can imagine that the body is having physiological changes to resist that threat. Same with psychological changes. So ultimately what happens is when we're in the face of deprivation and restriction, initially that may produce some results, but it hits a point where it stops. And that's your body's way of trying to survive and trying to keep you alive. Mm. And yet what we're told by the diet is that we failed it, right? Mm. That we didn't try hard enough. And so then that's where we feel like, oh, well, that one didn't work. And then and often most cases, the weight gain comes back and then some because of this protective buffer that happens. Again, that's not a popular idea, but it's the truth. <laughs> so like, if only we knew that, right? Like it's, it's not that your body is flawed. It's that your body is trying to keep you alive. But because we gained extra weight and coming out of the diet, which is protective, we feel like then the next answer is to engage with a different diet and try harder this time. The reality is, is the more we engage in that cycle, then the more we are altering our pathways, neural and physiological pathways in a way that favors weight regain. Mm. Now, I'm not trying to instill fear of weight gain here, but rather just show people that that cycle is a known thing. And you know, again, that this idea that like, why would I, why did I do that to myself? Most people show up in my office just really ashamed of that behavior. Like, why is it that I want to try another diet, even though I know that it doesn't work? And it's because it's backed by a multi-billion dollar industry that profits and preys off of our insecurities. And we're not designed to be deprived. I appreciate that and that validation. So thank you. Deprivation, just how it can affect your mood. And I think you touched a little bit on mental health, but as college students, do you know how that it can affect our focus and you know how we perform in school 
Yeah, for sure. So for one, I mean, most dieting is, you know, going to create some kind of energy deficit, i.e. calorie deficit, whether it's through eating less in some capacity, working out more in some capacity. But ultimately, when we're denying our hunger and denying our body of its basic needs, the body does see that as a threat. And so the nervous system is activated, right? So that keeps the body in a, in a more alert, food-seeking food-seeking mode. And so often what we experience and what I see often with college students is folks come in, you know, thinking that they're doing everything right to be healthy. Well, I'm working out all the time and I feel like I'm eating really healthy. And, you know, I have these really intense cravings at night that I am able to ignore because I eat big quote, you know, I shouldn't be mindlessly eating or giving into my cravings. And so all of this is really putting a, a burden on the body and, and ultimately, that's taking away from energy from the central nervous system that is needed. One of the characteristics, the key characteristics of undereating is food preoccupation. And so, you know, I often hear college students complaining that it's hard to focus on their studies, hard to focus in class, hard to um, participate in their social engagements because they're constantly thinking about their next meal or what they just ate or their meal plan. And so, I think it's important for people to know that that is a sign of undereating and undernourishment is when we're just in this constant food preoccupation. But we can imagine that if we're constantly in that mindset, in that mode, like what that is distracting us from, what that's taking away from in, in our college years, like these are right. these are our finding ourselves years and our, yeah. we're so impressionable. So I feel like if we can make sure that the body's basic needs are being met and, and kind of release that um, constant food preoccupation, then what does that free up the mind then to be able to focus on like much more meaningful, soul-fulfilling things? Absolutely. I was going to say like firsthand from that too, sometimes like I'm lazy in the morning and don't pack a lunch, but like I can tell like halfway through the day that I'm like not paying attention as well. Or I'm getting tired easily. Um, And days like where if I pack my lunch the night before, I can tell that I have more energy and everything too. Like even if the days where I haven't had lunch, I've had like an energy drink or caffeine and I can still feel tired. So like being able to understand like to myself and I've told myself like my roommates too, like, oh, I feel like as it is, like I feel so much better once I eat like my lunch. Um, it's really interesting to kind of acknowledge that too and understand like the primal drive and how it actually can take away from studies. So like being able to know like if I have food for lunch, then I can pay attention better in class. I think that's something that's really interesting also. Yeah, for sure. I mean, imagine your central nervous system is such a significant energy suck in your body. And so if we're experiencing, you know, what I often hear is brain fog or just I'm having a hard time focusing or, you know, everything just feels so overwhelming right now or emotional dysregulation. Yes, these things can be explained by other things too, but oftentimes the, the nutrition connection isn't that you're eating too much fill-in-the-blank diet culture food, but rather that you're not eating enough. And so many of these symptoms can be relieved when we are simply eating enough. A really interesting notion that I will definitely tell other people about too, just kind of to be aware of, because I know that there's definitely people in my life that I know that kind of struggle with that. Kind of on that topic with um, how it affects college students, everything too, how does it affect mental health directly since we're in like the mental health well-being office? So how would, um, how does food impact our mental health? Food. I was telling Stephanie, this might be its own hour plus podcast. <laughs> so food impacts our mental health in so many ways. And so I think in the, through the lens of intuitive eating, when we are feeling like we have internalized so much 
much diet culture, food policing, shoulds and shouldn'ts, good food, bad food, morality, rigid eating, just at this point where any any eating experience is distressing, right? Because we get to the point where we've heard it all, seen it all, tried it all, and there's a diet out there that every diet conflicts. So many of us get to the point where we have so much of that just constant chatter in our head that now every time that we're sitting down to experience a meal, which is something that we need to confront multiple times a day. So, you know, there's some things that we can just do without, but with eating, we have to do it. So now if we're bringing all this, dare I say, diet culture baggage Mm -hmm. to the table, Mm -hmm. that creates a pretty distressing eating environment. And that has huge implications on our mental health, not to mention that has huge implications on our physical health too. I mean, if we're in that mode where we're experiencing distress around what we're eating, what it's going to do to our body, then again, that that's a threatening tone that does keep the body in a bit of a sympathetic nervous system activated state. And so we, we do see the body in this fight or flight state that does not, is not conducive for rest and digest. And so oftentimes we see issues with digestion. And so then if the body is not properly digesting the nutrients from that meal, then the brain's not getting its full spectrum of nutrients and maybe the proper fuel supply that it needs to be firing on all cylinders and to have appropriate perceptions around eating. So, I mean, it's it's a multifaceted, very complex dynamic <laughs> that the answer is ultimately to make peace with eating. And it's a process. It's a practice. We don't master it. We don't reach enlightenment with it. And that's where I think intuitive eating, people think like, oh, I can do the work and then, you know, kind of peek out and, and, and master it. But really, it's, it's a lifelong practice. I can definitely see how that would be its own one-hour podcast. <laughs> I think that I would listen to it, but that's, that's really interesting. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, because our office is, you know, the health education prevention services. So we focus on education, outreach, harm reduction. So this is really relevant and certainly applicable to all of the areas that we cover. So and that's what I'm hearing is that nutrition, eating, dieting is not this isolated thing. Rather, in the grand scheme, especially as we were talking about mental health well-being, it has a huge contributing factor and really has overlay. But it definitely it's not like a compartmentalized like it all works together. So yeah, I've I think it's normalized across the board. Like just disordered eating is is normalized and it's celebrated in a lot of cases. Like, oh, look at that person. They have so much willpower. And I wouldn't say I want to be I want to be careful here too that, you know, just because someone's counting their macros or closely monitor monitoring their eating, that that's not inherently a problem. When is it a problem? It's a problem if it's distressing to that individual. Mm-hmm. If it's impacting their quality of life in a way because now they're, you know, less flexible and able to engage in social connections. And if now they're so preoccupied with eating in their gym routine that that's taking away from other really important pursuits in their life. Well, and two, I would say for health reasons too, if, you know, the the routine is so rigid that then it leads the person to dismiss their internal cues for eating, then then that's problematic. But I think there are there are some people who are not as affected by rigid eating. So I would say that they're the few and far between or the unicorns, if you will. Most people um, who do engage with dieting over time at some point will experience the distress of that. And then there is a subsection of people who do have predisposition to an actual eating disorder. Eating disorders don't have a look. And I think we've fallen into this position where we think eating disorders are thin, white, affluent, female diseases. And the reality is that that's actually a, a pretty small 
fraction of folks who actually do suffer from eating disorders. And eating disorders are not a choice either. So there are, what do we say, biopsychosocial influences that ultimately lead to the manifestation of an eating disorder. And most eating disorders are not happening in people in smaller bodies. And they do affect males. So I think, you know, as we're getting to this point here, I think the paradigm is shifting. I think, especially being on a college campus and having opportunities like this to put light on these issues and, you know, having the opportunity to put out programs and do campaigns for Eating Disorder Awareness Week, I think the the message is getting out there and people are starting to see and understand that eating disorders don't look a certain way because I think that's keeping a lot of people sick and stuck because they think just because they don't fit that that eating disorder norm that therefore their disordered eating is not sick enough or not enough of a problem to be treated. I'm not thin enough to be treated. So then that's where we see some big problems happen. I really appreciate you bringing that up that you can't, eating disorders aren't just something you can see because there's definitely that common misconception that like an eating disorder is just being super thin and it's so, like everything else, it's on the spectrum. And mm-hmm. I think it's becoming more known, that idea, but still, like you said, we need to like debunk that that idea. Yeah. And it's really hard when eating disorder behaviors are normalized, mm-hmm. right? What what we're celebrating in in folks in larger bodies and losing weight is what we're treating in folks in thinner bodies. Yeah. When, Stephanie, when you were sharing your personal experience about like people complimenting how you looked, I thought like, how have we come to the point where we celebrate body weight loss and like why we even think it's okay to comment on someone's body in the first place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that double standard of like, I want it, but now like you're saying I look good because this is happening. And so, yeah, definitely. As we kind of are starting to wrap up, um, Kaylin, do you have any non-diet suggestions for folks wanting to set New Year's goals? And then also in the same vein, what resources are available at CSU or even the community would you recommend to students and thinking about cost and what's covered and available? I also know there's like a nutritionist for students that live in the residence halls or on campus that's available. So lots of questions for you. Wrap, wrap it all in. Yeah, wrap it all <laughs> in. Okay. I'll do my best. So yeah, I think, you know, come, come New Year, not to say I'm necessarily endorsing New Year's resolutions. I think, you know, there's, there's definitely an authentic way to go about that. But for folks who, you know, are thinking about how they want to, what intentions they might want to set for the year, I think what we commonly see is goals and intentions that focus on pursuing health by means of reducing, cutting out, minimizing, whether it's losing X amount of pounds or cutting out X types foods or eating less X things. I'm sure your imagination can take you to all those examples. And that could look like, you know, eating as a means for self-care. How can you better nourish your body. And by that, I mean, like, first and foremost, coming back to eating enough. How can you best honor your hunger cues? And if you're not sure where to start, like, that would be a really good opportunity to reach out and get some assistance. But diet culture likes us to take things out, remove things, you know, cut out these food groups, slash this many calories. So to push back and to do your psychology and physiology a favor, think about an abundance approach. So 
that could look like I want to, you know, consistently eat breakfast on days I'm going to school. Focusing on more hydration, focusing on incorporating more movement in your life that actually feels joyful and not punishing. Ways that actually feels like a celebration, you know, that isn't stressful. You know, I'm, I'm not here to convince people to put the dye in diet culture themselves, but rather like if you're starting to wonder about your own personal journey and if you're experiencing some of the backlashes of dieting, I think a good place to start would be, you know, for you to inventory maybe the ways that diet culture might be affecting your life and where it's showing up in your life. And maybe it is in your social circle. Maybe it is on your social media. Maybe it is in a self-weighing routine or using certain apps that force you to focus on numbers rather than how your body is feeling. So I think if you're in a position where you're starting to reconsider your dieting habits and behaviors, a good place to start would be bringing awareness into where that is showing up in your life, in what ways it might be benefiting your life, and also maybe what are some of the costs. At the end of the day, you do you. If dieting is serving you, you know, I think it's important that you take an honest look and do a cost-benefit analysis. And if it's not serving you and you're not sure how to break free because you feel like you've lost trust in yourself and you have lost confidence in your ability to make feeding and eating decisions, that would be a really good place to reach out for support. For folks who are looking for support, we are, the KRNC is a team of non-diet dietitians. Uh, There are four of us who offer one-on-one individual nutrition counseling sessions for all nutrition needs and interests, whether it's, you know, breaking free of dieting, eating disorder treatment, or maybe it is managing a certain health condition or navigating food allergies or just simply wanting to feel better, better fuel your, you know, recreational activities. Um, So what you can get from KRNC is a non-dieting approach, whatever it is that you're seeking out. And we do work with student health insurance. Um, So I can't promise coverage, but we have a pretty good track record of coverage. We also offer group programs. All of our programs are non-dieting, nutrition-focused programs. So we have everything from our new intuitive eating practice group that I'm starting to lead here in March to our eating disorder support group. We also have our Healthy You program, which is a deep dive into non-dieting nutrition education. And then we'll be rolling out pretty soon our Healthy You 2 program, which is, again, non-dieting nutrition, but for folks who are wanting to prevent or manage uh, various metabolic diseases. And then as you mentioned, we do have an awesome resource on campus too. Kara MacGyver is the dietitian in housing and dining. She is fabulous and she does free consults with uh, students who are living in the residence halls. That's awesome. There sounds like there's a lot going on in your office in the coming years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for anyone who's listening, we, you know, we're here talking mostly to CSU students. So obviously we serve the CSU student body, but we also serve the entire CSU community. So we do work with CSU employees and then and beyond. So actually anyone can access our services. So we're not just CSU. And I will say as a personal, for me, recommendation, I attended a group um, that Kaylin led that was very helpful. And then from there, I was able to have a few one-on-one counseling sessions with Kaylin regarding um, like food, my relationship with food, managing my own like health condition. And I will say, you know, just to like co-sign the 
conversation uh, was not based on like eating calories, but really explored my relationship with food. And from that stemming from my relationship with like family, people that influence my relationship with food, we went deep. And I was like, this is not what I expected. But it was very enlightening to know that there was that connection of it wasn't again, like I was saying before, it's not a separate thing, but that these things overlapped. And I could now pinpoint like where that started based on like feedback I got from my family. I identify as Chinese. So growing up in a culture where people are not afraid to tell you exactly uh, what they're thinking also wasn't it wasn't helpful in that mindset for me and my relationship with eating. So it's very insightful. I highly recommend it um, if you're able to attend the, you know, Kendall Reagan Nutrition Center. KRNC is on the first floor of the Health Network. Um, You come on in and kind of wrap around the info desk and you'll see them there. So, well, this was super awesome. Kaylin, thank you for coming. I think, you know, when we talked about brainstorming ideas, we were like, it's the first month of the year. This tends to be a a common topic that comes up. And I I think we don't really talk about it in the frank manner that we've done today. And just being able to talk openly, I think there's a taboo. It's either like, I think, Kaylin, what you're saying, like, it's not a yes or no, right? Is a right or wrong, but more of like, what is the information that we, that there is about it so that you can make the best informed decision for yourself based on what your needs are in your body? Is that, would you say that's pretty correct? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Just to know that there's, there's other options and other ways out there. Right. So if things aren't working, it's not you, it's the method that you might have chosen and that there's other ways. So if you want more information, there'll be links in our description of the podcast. And as always, we really appreciate your feedback. And if you want to see any other, see, if you want to hear any other topics that we can talk about, please let us know in the evaluation, um, which is also in a link in the podcast description. But with that, Kaylin, we really want to thank you for your time and we will talk to you all next time. Thanks so much. It's been a real honor to be here and this was super fun. Let's do it again. Yeah. for listening to this episode of the Mental Health Musings podcast. You can find this episode and others on KCSU's website, the CSU Health Network's website, and Spotify. All links will be in the podcast description. Lastly, there is an evaluation survey that I encourage you to fill out. It's how we get better and to know what future topics to talk about. Those details are also in the description. Thanks again, everyone. And remember to be kind to yourself. Mm